From Lords, France, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And my special guest for this edition is Chaplain Brian Minietta. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's my pleasure. And uh, I'm here with uh, the uh, uh, Warriors to Lords, as well as you are. Uh, and uh, we're here on a spiritual journey. We're joining the International Military Pilgrimage, which is taking place uh, May 13th through 15th of 2022. Um, Chaplain Minietta, tell me, how did you come to uh, take part in the Warriors to Lords Pilgrimage? So in 2015, I had a friend who is a Protestant chaplain that applied to just come on the pilgrimage as a pilgrim. And he had an amazing experience. Um, his background is not too far removed from Catholicism, so it was easy for him theologically to come here. And so he thought, because of my background and our similar belief systems, that as a Protestant chaplain, this would be a good experience for me as well. And so I came the first time in 2016 as a pilgrim, just wanting to grow in my faith, grow closer to the Lord, and, and seek healing for my own combat experiences and the things that I've endured as a chaplain. I hear you. So you're not Catholic. You uh, are a minister in the United Methodist Church, but you're endorsed to serve in the military by the Evangelical Church Association. Do I have that straight? Yep, yeah. Education is United Methodist. My background is United Methodist. Um, But, yeah, my endorser is the Evangelical Church Alliance. When you came here in 2016, what was your first impression of the International Military Pilgrimage and Lourdes. Right. So my my uh, background, actually, with my parents, my mom and dad are actually both Catholic. And I was actually baptized Catholic when I was 11 years old. And so I went through that process as a kid, and so I still remember that. So I was very excited, one, just because I know what pilgrimages are all about. Um, there are opportunities to go closer to the Lord, to seek healing, um, and so when I first got here, I looked at this as like a very important stage in my journey, like to grow in my own faith, to find my own healing, and then just to be surrounded by people who love the Lord and who want to seek healing as well. It was very f- refreshing to see the vulnerability, the authenticity, and just the openness that people had to what this pilgrimage could could do in their hearts and in their lives. So you were already a chaplain when you came here in 2016. Oh, yeah. And you're back here again. It's 2022. Yep. How many times have you come to Lourdes over the years since 2016? So this is my fourth time. Uh, first time I was a pilgrim, but immediately they put me in charge of a small group. And so I was a facilitator for one of the faith and fellowship groups, which to me was actually one of the richest experiences because people were processing everything that they did during the day. And so I looked at it as an opportunity to let people open up and share how they were seeing God move in their lives during that day. And then in the evening, they would unpack all that. So it was powerful uh, to experience. So after that experience, they invited me to come back as a trip leader and to open up the door for RDU, because that's where I was stationed at the time at Fort Bragg. And so I went and recruited and basically brought a group from RDU the next year as a trip leader. Did it again in 2018 and then 2019. And then they keep inviting me back. 
And so I'm going to keep coming back because I, the Lord uses me in some pretty awesome ways, and, and I love to have the opportunity. I hear you. So for the non-military listener who doesn't know the military acronym, what is RD? Oh, RDU is a Raleigh-Durham group. Yeah, so we have an LAX group. We have a group from JFK. So we created a new group that's around the Fort Bragg area. And we just call them the RDU group because they fly out of the RDU airport. I hear you. And so I'm going to fill in a little background for our listener. Uh, the Archdiocese for the Military Services has teamed up with the Knights of Columbus to send warriors to Lourdes for the past almost, uh, well, eight years or so. And uh, uh, so... I'm here, we're here, you and I are here uh, with this delegation in year 2022. And this morning you gave a, a compelling talk, and I would like you to share that with our listener about an encounter you had with a pilgrim uh, and how it impacted your ministry. Could you share that with me? Sure, and, and just so everybody knows, this particular pilgrim has given us permission to talk about his experience, so not breaking any kind of confidentiality. But my first year when I came in 2016, I was a pilgrim. And um, I talked with Dorothy a little bit, who's one of the one of the trip leaders and one of the leaders on moral injury here now at the pilgrimage. And just from our experiences and me sharing my background and you know multiple deployments and and some of the opportunities I've had to minister to soldiers, a soldier in her group had mentioned um, that he was triggered by one of their faith and fellowship conversations because one of the persons had shared, that thankfully the Lord had blessed him, and one of his fears was that he would some somehow have to have to kill children or engage children in combat. Well, that triggered this particular soldier because he was not blessed with that same blessing, and so Dorothy could see that he was triggered, that he was not handling things very well, and he actually had a like a professional aide with him from the VA who kind of bolted. And so she asked him to go out on the balcony, and she said she was going to go get help immediately. And because of our conversation earlier, she came to me. And so here I am, a pilgrim, pilgrim on like my second day on the pilgrimage, and she comes to me and she says, hey, I need you to talk to this guy. And so for two hours, we met out on the balcony, and he told me his entire story. And he had not shared this story, at least as far as I know, with anybody else. He had been carrying it with him for four years. He had been in a very, very dark place. And this was an opportunity for us to help him unpack it a little bit and address it, which is what this pilgrimage is all about. I hear you. So what was that story? So basically, I'll give you a quick summary. Um, he was he was in close combat situation. He which was, country? He was in Iraq. And basically... They were moving around in an urban situation, building to building, and he had his brothers and sisters in combat in front of him, and he was kind of pulling the rear, and, you know, hypervigilant, 360, you know, making sure that there was no threats, and out of the corner of his eye, he saw what he perceived to be a combatant with a rifle, and it clearly was somebody with a rifle, which is immediate threat. And so what he did, you know, is what we're trained to do. He turned very quickly and removed that threat, only to realize later on that that particular 
enemy combatant was not an adult. When you say removed that threat, he killed the Correct. assailant. Correct. Yep. And how was he handling the knowledge that he had done that? Not well. Um, and, you know, I didn't know his entire story before, but I've learned before that uh, he had basically holed himself up in his house. He had put aluminum foil on all the windows. So he was literally in darkness, um, physically, emotionally, and definitely spiritually. Now, your talk this morning was on the topic of moral injury. Yep. So let's hold that story and get back to it in just a moment. But what is moral injury? So moral injury has been around since the beginning of time, but it hasn't become something that we've tried to understand or name until probably the 1970s, right after Vietnam. Um, and so basically, I think to help us understand what it is, we have to talk about what it isn't. Um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is something where trauma occurs to you or something that it incites fear. It's a fear-based thing. It happens to you. And so moral injury is much different. In this, in this understanding of moral injury, there's three things that can happen, basically. One is you're the perpetrator. And so whereas PTSD, where trauma has occurred to you, you are actually the perpetrator in a particular situation. Or you've witnessed something and you didn't stand up for what you believe to be right and that thing still occurred. Or you're betrayed by somebody you trust. And so somebody in any one of those situations that endures that situation, um, we would say suffers from moral injury. So we're talking about a betrayal of one's most basic moral beliefs. Yes. Wow, okay. And you say this is a very common thing. I would say it happens more often than, than we realize. But it's been around a long time. Oh, yes, yes. This isn't some something somebody just came up with in the last few years. Right, right. Okay, let's get back to the, uh, the guy that you were talking yeah. to. So, you know, just war theory tells us that when we go to war, there's certain criteria that need to be met. Just war theory promulgated by St. Augustine back Correct. in the 4th century. Yep, yep. Given, us, given to us by the Catholic Church, right? <laughs> um, you know, there are certain criteria that need to be met. And so, you know, thankfully the United States, uh, we do our best to meet those criteria before we send our sons and daughters into war. So this young man went into war and... I think we could even say that his actions in that situation were heroic. Um, taking care of your brothers and sisters in combat, I mean, that's, that's, that's heroic. But war is nasty. It's brutal. And there's such thing as the fog of war. And even though what you do in that moment could be justified or could be heroic, um, it still can go outside the bounds of what we feel like God created us to do. And I don't think anybody would ever say that God created us to take out a kid. And so he, I believe in the, in the, you know, if you would just look at the situation and say, was it justified or not justified? He was justified, but he needed something more. And that's what moral injury helps us to focus on. What was that something more that he needed? So you said, uh, 
you know, you're inclined to think about Augustine and just war theory, but that isn't quite ex- what that fellow was asking for. At the yeah, time. my temptation, honestly, in the moment was to let him know, hey, you're at war. This is what happens in war. You were taking care of, you know, your brothers and sisters. Like, what you did was justified. That was my temptation. I think that's helpful at some point, but in that moment, he needed something deeper. And what was that? So, I think, first of all, what he needed and what a lot of people need is, one, the ability to just open up and share and talk about it. So I would I tell people all the time as chaplains, 75% of what I do when I'm doing pastoral counseling is I'm just listening and I'm validating and I'm present. And, you know, the first hour was him just getting it out. And he was crying. He was clearly emotionally distraught. And, and I just listened. I, I, I mean human touch I put my hand on his shoulder just to let him know he's not alone and that's one of the problems with moral injury is you alienate yourself you know he hold him up hold himself up in his house and so the first thing I wanted to do was just listen and be present with him and I think that immediately just lets him light in to the dark situation that he was in uh, the second thing I wanted to do was through tears and through his struggle he told me that he was a monster. And, you know, I didn't want to, like, be argumentative with him about him, with it, about that, but I wanted to confront what he was saying. And so I just, I just let him know. I said, hey, if you were a true monster, you wouldn't be so conflicted about this. There wouldn't be tears. A monster wouldn't care. And I think that, like, I could see in his heart, in his mind, I could see that resonated with him. Like, like, wow, maybe, 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 I'm, maybe I'm not a monster. You know, maybe I was just put in a very difficult situation and I did the best that I could do in that situation. And so those are the two primary goals that I had. I think deep down um, what he was after was forgiveness and redemption. And I think that's where the church, where chaplains... We are especially qualified to provide that, um, to, to enable him to seek out those things, because guess what we represent? God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. And so I viewed myself as an ambassador in that moment, uh, speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ into what he was dealing with. And I want to get to how this story ends in a moment, but... Before we get there, help us figure out what is moral injury for the listener. What are the characteristics of moral injury and what distinguishes moral injury from post-traumatic stress disorder? Right. So post-traumatic stress disorder, I think you're going you're gonna to get a lot of fear. Um, you're going to get a lot of hypervigilance, a lot of that, you know, always looking, quick, quick reaction to things. Moral injury, the, the primary symptoms that you're going to see are guilt for an act that was done, and then even deeper than that, shame. Uh, shame is that not only did I do something that I think was outside the bounds of my moral compass or my morality, but now I, I, I am worthless. 
I am nothing. I am a monster. Um, you also see with moral injury, alienation. Um, you know, just this, just this willingness to remove yourself from society. You almost dehumanize yourself in a lot of ways. And so I would say the guilt and the shame are normally the two biggest um, indicators that somebody's struggling with moral injury. And yet they're not the same thing. Guilt they're, and shame. They're yeah, two different things. Yeah, I would, I would argue that guilt can actually be a good thing at times. Um, I, think, I think it's a tool that God uses to help us um, repent, right? When we do things and there's sin in our lives and none of us are perfect, guilt can actually be a good thing that can lead us to repentance, which ultimately leads us to, to, to seeking forgiveness, and then that opens the door for His grace and His mercy. I don't think shame's a good thing. I personally think shame is a tool of Satan. Shame is that next step of we let the guilt come in, and instead of going to the Lord with the guilt, we let it define us. And soon, shame becomes, becomes not only about our actions, but it becomes our identity. I hear you. It seems to me that there's also uh, a difference in guilt is more a private thing, where shame is almost like embarrassment. It's like everybody knows and everybody sees what I've done wrong. Right. Right? Is right. That, yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And so you're kind of boxed in publicly. You know, yep. there's no way to escape what everyone knows you did. Right. Yep. Yep. Whereas you can have guilt about something that nobody knows you did, just you and the Lord. Right. Yeah. Uh, wow. And I should mention, we're uh, here to Sidewalk Cafe in Wards, France. <laughs> so if you hear, uh, you know, military parades going by and others, uh, that's uh, where we're at, at the Hotel saint Sauvier, if I'm saying that right. Sounds so, good to me. <laughs> so anyhow, let's get back to the, to, to the uh, former, I, I suppose this fellow who you met here and who had killed the kid. Did he tell you how old the kid was? He did, I don't know if he even knew. He just knew it was a kid. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that back in 2016, and you had this conversation with him, and he began to understand that he wasn't a monster, that what he did was an heroic action. And yet, he had this sense of betraying his most basic moral value, thou shalt not murder. Yes. Okay. So what happened after that or during and after that conversation? Yeah, I would, I would say that he had buried this stuff so deep. Um, you know, of course we know we can try to bury it and bury it, but it, but it still has a way of impacting us psychologically, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He had buried it so deep um, that he just wasn't talking about it, wasn't bringing it up, and this was the first opportunity for him to let it go. And I, I could physically see the weight just lifting off of his soul as he was sharing, as he was talking. Um, the, the darkness just in his countenance w- was being lifted. It was almost like light was shining through and little glimpses of hope were starting to come in as we were talking. And you mentioned in your presentation this morning that the tears had started to flow even before this oh, conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, right right when we started talking. Like, I mean, probably the first five minutes, there weren't even any words. Um, I just, I was just present watching him grieve. And he was, he was letting go of that grief. So what is it about Lourdes, do you think, that helps people 
<clears throat> unpack the, the baggage that they come here with, the, the burden that they come here with? You know, I think, I think first of all, that's the power of pilgrimage. Uh, there, there's an intentionality when, when you come. Um, you know you got stuff. We all know we've got stuff. We've got things that we need to deal with. And so I think Lourdes is this beautiful place that it's almost like an invitation. Come, come here. Come here and open up your heart and let go of this stuff with a promise that not only are you going to let go of this stuff, but I'm going to fill it with, with something even more wonderful, something even better, something beautiful. And I think Lourdes, that's, that's the power of this place. That's, that's the miracle of this place. The, the, the whole story of St. Bernadette and uh, the Blessed Mother appearing to her. Mm-hmm. And now pilgrims come here from all over the world. They can come and they can drink and wash in the spring waters that she discovered when she had that apparition. And, uh, yeah, the, the pilgrimage, people can, can come and, and lay their baggage at the foot of the cross. Yep. And it's a deep, personal, spiritual experience. This is the real thing. This is, you, you don't make this stuff up, you know. Yep. Uh, and uh, so... For our listener out there who may have experienced the same kind of uh, thing that this fella did, and because look, the people who fight our wars have encountered all kinds of horrible situations. They've been involved in yep. situations that they have deep remorse and regret over. Yep. What What do you tell that that listener? Well, I would say what's what's powerful not only about lords but about this particular knights of columbus warriors to lords pilgrimage is this is a select group of people that have some sort of connection to the military we have veterans we have active duties uh um service personnel and we all come with wounds and i think not only the pilgrimage but the fact that we all come and we're united and the fact that we've got wounds, you know, whether it's um, spiritual, emotional, psychological, or physical, we all come here wounded with this mission to unite and and come to this place and find healing. And what I love is this particular pilgrimage that the Knights of Columbus runs is we have these small groups where people are opening up and they're sharing. It's almost like the perfect... Um, formula to open up. You've got mass. You've got your small groups. You've got this ritualist ritual bath that you're going to do. You've got the stations of the cross, and it's like the Lord is saying, "You know what? I'm going to do all these different things to spark in you uh, a reception of my spirit." And so it's it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, it's 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 a holy, sacred thing. So, what do you know about? How this, um, I guess it was a soldier, he was an army, uh, this soldier, uh, what happened in his life after this experience? So he was, I was, you know, in a, in a different group when I came, and so um, he was in another group, as we mentioned about the airports, how each person's in a group. So Dorothy is the one that continued to give me the follow-up after the pilgrimage. So, so that morning, that next morning, she said, hey, how are you doing? And he was like, I'm doing great. 
I don't think that guy has said I'm doing great in a long, long time. And so once again, I feel like it was it was the formula of he heard a priest share a message, he attended a mass, and then he had this one-on-one encounter with me. I think all those things combined led to this moment where he said, "I'm doing, I'm doing great." And to me, we get one person making that kind of a breakthrough, the whole pilgrimage is justified. In your life as a chaplain, that has to be one of the most rewarding things. Yes. Uh, to be able to bring someone out of that darkness to find the light. Yes. What is that like for you? It's, it's very rewarding. Um, I actually, I have kind of a, a mission statement. And it's basically to be a fierce advocate for soldiers and families in the name of Jesus Christ. And, of course, advocate is a, is a term in the Gospel of John. Um, it talks about the Holy Spirit, right? The, the paraclete. Yeah, the Greek word is paraclete, which can be translated as advocate. And so I feel like I'm, I'm God's advocate. And, and I'm here for him to use me. And trust me, man, I'm broken and flawed and jacked up. And so when, when he uses me like that, um, I don't know if there's a greater joy. Like, like I, I was called in the ministry when I was 17 for times such as this, I believe. And, and God, thankfully, um, continues to choose to use me for those kinds of opportunities. And I was honored. I mean, that was... That was sacred ground when he said he was going to tell me something that he hadn't told anybody else. I mean, this just, it's just sacred. Was he still in the service or was he got out of the service at that point? So, so at that point, I think he was out. So he had already um, gone through, gone through the process with, with, you know, the, the psychological treatment that he was enduring and all that kind of stuff, and probably medically retired. I, I don't know all those details. Chaplain Brian Minietta yep. of the United States Army, major in the United States Army. Uh, we've been talking about moral injury here at Lords during the um, uh, Warriors to Lords pilgrimage, which. Uh, occurs at the same time as the international military pilgrimage and there will be thousands of military personnel and veterans uh, convening on Lourdes here in the next several days. Thank you so much for talking to me and uh, moral injury is a, a, a compelling topic that uh, as you mentioned is, has been with us a long time only relatively recently acknowledged but it, it's we're going to be hearing a lot more about it in, yes. in, the, in the times to come. I guess one last thing I can ask you before we go. Uh, someone who identifies with the symptoms that you talked about, the senses that they either betrayed their most deeply held moral beliefs or were, for lack of a better word, the victim of a betrayal of their, their deepest held moral beliefs. What should they do? How, how can they find liberation from this cross they bear. I think the first thing is there needs to be an acknowledgement or or an awareness of that. And so that requires them to 
to stop and and delve into their experience and and unpack it a little bit. So I think guilt or shame. Um, talk to somebody about it that you trust, because uh, a lot of times it's hard for us to do that on our own. But a good open-ended question from somebody who loves us and trusts us can inspire some of that soul searching that needs to happen. So one, acknowledge it, um, and then two, talk about it. I think I think we have a tendency in our culture, especially in the military, especially with men, right? I'm I'm gonna just man up and. I'm going to bury it. Um, but all too often, we know that other things are utilized to bury things, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever. You can't bury it. You got it. You got to bring it up, and you got to talk about it. And then when you talk about it, um, talk about it with somebody who you know, who you trust, somebody who loves you, and somebody that's for you. And you know, I think this is something that is in the spiritual lane. And so, you know, especially if you're a person of faith. Talk to your priest, your pastor, your chaplain, um, because ultimately this is something that the Lord can heal. When it comes to when it comes to grief, when it comes to shame, when it comes to shame, um, this is where mercy, grace, love—these things need to be spoken into that person's life, and no one can do that better than a spiritual leader. Chaplain Major Brian Minietta of the United States Army, thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it.